Welcome to the Fort Hill Community Church Sunday morning sermon taught by Pastor Aaron Manning. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Thank you again for joining us on this awesome, beautiful day. And for those online as well on Facebook, it's great to be here with you as we continue in the book of John, John 16. Um, I think we might be coming up on a year. I don't remember whenever we started this book, but it's been a while. And that's good because there's a lot of good stuff in here. We're going to be in John chapter 16, starting in verse 4, going to verse 15. And today uh, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Uh, Francis Chan, he's a, uh, a speaker, pastor guy, um, got a lot of good stuff. He wrote a book called The Forgotten God. And it's a book about the Holy Spirit. And this is uh, just a, a quick quote from the intro to his book. This is what he said. Uh, from my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes forgotten. While no evangelical um, or no follower of Christ would deny the existence of the Holy Spirit, I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across the country who cannot confidently say that they have experienced His presence or action in their lives over the past year, and many of them do not believe that they can, that they can experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I tend to agree with Francis Chan um, on his point here. Whenever we think about the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, um, we might think about like spirit-filled worship, spirit-filled worship, or signs and wonders, that type of thing, or ecstatic utterances or displays. If you've ever, um, I remember like, you know, growing up um, in my grandma's house, sometimes there'd be like a televangelist on the TV, right? And they're like just smacking people on the head and they're falling down. It's just kind of crazy, you know what I mean? Um, so maybe, you know, is that the Holy Spirit? Is that what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to show up? Is that what it looks like? Is that, what, is that who this third person of the Trinity is? Is is that the role of the Holy Spirit? Is this uh, definitional of what it means for the Holy Spirit to, to show up? Or does it look a little bit differently? Have you ever thought about that to, you know, in, in your walk? We, we obviously talk about Jesus, following Jesus. We see God all over the Bible, particularly Yahweh, uh, Father God in the, in the Old Testament. But what about the Holy Spirit? What is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life? How does the Spirit work? Is it in these larger-than-life ecstatic ways, or have we maybe gotten the Holy Spirit wrong? Today, we're going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see the Holy Spirit do three things. The first we're going to see is that the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world. And that word convict is going to be a little bit different than maybe what you're thinking, like internal conviction. Of sin, the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world. Finally, or secondly, the Holy Spirit has come to declare the word, to declare God's word to us. And then finally, the Holy Spirit has come to glorify Jesus. And so, uh, if you just want to cobble together all of your sort of preconceived notions of um, who the Holy Spirit is, and then let's take that to Scripture and let's examine that. So we're going to be in John 16. I'm going to read together. Um, you can read with me, starting in verse four. And the second half of verse 4, going to verse 15. Let's read. I did not, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, I did not say these things to you 
from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I think it's really important, whenever you read the Bible, to pay attention to the verbs. Pay attention to the verbs. And if we do that, then these three verbs uh, come out. What does the Holy Spirit do? Again, verb, action. What does the Holy Spirit do? Um, the first thing we see, convict. The second, guide or declare. And then the third, glorify. But before we, we get there, I just want to sort of establish the context. Jesus says, He, and this is not the first time, we've seen this all throughout um, John 13 to 17, is um, just Jesus' final words to His uh, disciples. It's known as the upper room uh, discourse. And so Jesus is he's ended his public ministry at the end of John 12. No one, after three years doing all this crazy stuff, no one believed in him, or not a lot of people believed in him. And now he's turning from public and moving private. And he's saying, okay, I'm going to focus on these guys and get them ready for what's about to happen. And in the process of that, he teaches them about the Holy Spirit. And what he says in every single time that he talks about the Holy Spirit, he calls him the helper. He says, I'm going to send my helper to you. I'm going to send my helper to you. So that's, that's one important piece, and we see that fully expressed in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit comes, it's crazy. Peter preaches, 3,000 people get saved. Everything Jesus said came to pass. So, who is, it's a, the Holy Spirit's this, this sent God, but who is the Holy Spirit? Let me just give a quick little, you know, doctrinal theological lesson, okay? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Bible says that there is one God that exists in three persons, okay? And this is very, very important. Um, without a Trinitarian God, there is no saving God. There is no salvation. And this is one of the deep mysteries of the Christian faith that make it very unique amongst other all other religions. Okay, so if you're a Muslim, you believe in Allah, one God, just one. Okay, if you're Hindu, there's all types of gods. There's millions and millions, millions of gods. The Christian faith believes that there's one single God, but he exists in three persons. Okay, so one plus one plus one equals one, okay? Which, you know, I didn't, I can't pass, you know, explain that math to you. That's, that's God math, okay? That's, you know, uh, Jesus math, but that's how it is, okay? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, 
Uh, up until this point, we have seen the Holy Spirit in the Bible, although it hasn't been as pronounced as Jesus in the New Testament or um, God the Father in the Old Testament, but he's there. If you read from the very beginning of creation, the Holy Spirit's there. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is hovering over the face of the waters. You can't get in. You can't even get a few verses into Genesis without seeing the Holy Spirit there. Um, you'll see the Holy Spirit with Moses. That the Holy Spirit comes and and um, empowers Moses to lead Israel. And then it, it's in Deuteronomy or Numbers or um, it's Exodus. I don't know. It's someplace where Moses says, "Oh, that I wish that all of God's people would have His Spirit." And that was the prophecy of Joel. That Joel saw that God's Spirit would be poured out on men and women and your male servants and your female servants. Okay, so the Holy Spirit's been there. You even see in one of the strangest manifestations of the Spirit in Samson whenever he rips a lion in two. Okay, it says that Samson was filled with the Spirit. And he takes out a lion. Okay? Weird story. You can read about it if you want in Judges. We've seen the Holy Spirit already in the ministry of Jesus. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus at his baptism. It says, like a dove. So the Holy Spirit is not the new guy on the scene, but he is coming in a new way. In a way that's never been experienced before. In a way that God has never manifested uh, before we're going to see the Holy Spirit in a way we've never quite seen him before, and that's the prophecy of Joel that you can read about fulfilled there in Acts chapter two. If you want to do some studying on on that, and we we see that because of Jesus' words, because now He is sent to us. He is sent to us. I will send Him to you. This word "send" is really important. It's really important, and this is where we see um, sort of the Trinitarian God. At work, which is kind of cool. Who else was sent to us? Who else was sent to us? Well, like 95% of the questions that are asked in church, Jesus, okay? That's the answer. Jesus was sent to us. And who sent Jesus to us? God the Father. John 6, 39. This is the will of Him who sent me. So think about it. The Father sent the Son, and now the Son is sending the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Trinity at work. One God, three persons, three roles, working out salvation. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sends the church. The Holy Spirit sends the church. It was the will of the Father to save the world. He sent the Son to accomplish that salvation. And the Son now sends the Holy Spirit to apply that salvation, what Jesus accomplished. We serve ascending God, and we see that all throughout all the steps of who God is. Um, we serve a God that doesn't sit back and disengage, but just the opposite. He gets his hands dirty. And so what do you think that means for you, right? And this is just an aside that I'm just throwing out there to kind of guilt you a little bit. Um, what do you think that means to you? If all three parts of God in the Trinity are sending, 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 go, 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 do, 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 make, 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 transform, what do you think that means about you or for you? And then we get to the end, Matthew 28, 18-20. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Uh, we, have, we serve ascending God. It's incredible. And then we get to verse 7, which is a little bit of a plot twist. This is what Jesus says in verse 7. Um, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. It is to your advantage that Jesus leaves. Kind of strange. Because whenever he leaves, he's going to send his helper to us. Jesus is saying we would be disadvantaged if he were to stay here rather than sending the Holy Spirit. Don't you think it would have been better to have Jesus here? It would have made things a lot easier for us. Just tap people on the shoulder and say, hey, this guy wants to talk to you, right? I don't have to say anything, right? Go, you go talk to Jesus. I don't have to say anything. It's an incredible statement, and the reason I want to point it out is because I think it highlights just how little we esteem the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it's better that this incarnate Son of God in the flesh not be in your midst because you're going to be better equipped to do the work I'm calling you to do whenever I send my Spirit to you. Whenever I send my Spirit to you. Not there, that there is any deficiency in Jesus, but because if you think about it, this was the nature of the mission. The nature of the mission was never merely external, right? But always internal. I prayed before, everything's spiritual. Behind everything, everything is spiritual. We don't battle against flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of evil. If you think about it, Jesus came to accomplish the external. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He physically died. He physically rose. And now it's time to take that external and make it internal. Take the physical death to life and make it spiritual death to life. And here is my Holy Spirit sent to you to do the work that I'm sending you to do. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, what is this thing that the Holy Spirit does? What is this work that the Holy Spirit is doing? And the first thing that we see the Holy Spirit do is He convicts the world. He convicts the world. I'm just going to read this again in verse 8. And when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world, and then it describes how? Concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is a little bit of a weird um, part, to be honest. I, I remember reading this whenever I first read the book of John, and I wasn't really sure what was going on here. Um, I, I use a commentary by R.C. Sproul. I don't know if you guys know who R.C. Sproul is. He's a um, pres he's Presbyterian, right? Um, which is fine. Um, <laughs> nothing is Presbyterian, so just thinking out loud. Um, he's awesome. Awesome guy. Super smart. He passed away not too long ago. And he said he wasn't sure what Jesus was talking about here. What is, what is this? That the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then the way he describes it, the, convicting the world concerning sin is, is pretty simple. They don't believe in me. But concerning righteousness and judgment... What is that? Well, I think the key to understanding this is those first three words. He convicts the world. He convicts the world. Whenever we use this word conviction, we typically think of personal conviction of sin, that I mess up, you know, I get mad at my kids and yell at my kids or whatever. Not that that happens, but just use an example. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, we do that. And we feel convicted by it. We feel bad and we repent, okay? The Holy Spirit does that, but I don't think that's what he's talking about 
here. I don't think that's what he's talking about. If you remember last week, whenever we talked about the world, the world is defined as all of those that are opposed to God, opposed to Jesus, opposed to the truth of God. So the full mat, like everyone that lives in opposition to God, okay? The, the ungodly multitude, okay? So one aspect of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world, is to put the world on trial, in a sense. And I think it, I think it makes sense if you remember what this word helper means. And I'm going way back, so just hang with me. The word helper means advocate. In, in the original language, it means advocate. So the role of the Holy Spirit is to advocate for the church. It's like, it means a stand beside. So it's kind of like your defense lawyer in court. And the Holy Spirit is there to defend us. We think like helper, like to help us do, to do stuff, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's to argue our case before God, to say that this person in their sin does not deserve your heaven. But Jesus has come and covered that sin. And so don't, look, don't deal with Aaron according to his sin. Deal with Aaron according to the righteous perfections of Jesus. Okay, The Holy Spirit is arguing my case before God. That's what the word helper means for those in Christ. What if you're not in Christ? What if you're in the world? Okay, What if you're in the world? Well, you could think you could flip that then. Flip it. The Holy Spirit is the holy prosecutor. The holy prosecutor. Another translation is the Holy Spirit exposes the world's error. Exposes the world's error, and the error is that they got Jesus wrong. Now that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit comes and the gavel comes down, this whole world is lost in the sense that the judgments come. No, the trial is, if you want to keep the metaphor, the trial is is playing out, and people will repent and believe, and the prosecutor flips into the defense attorney, and now they are saved for those who repent and believe in Jesus. But in a very real way, the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world, to show the world the error of their ways, because now you know that Jesus truly was who he says he was, because now the Holy Spirit is here. As it says in John 12, 37, their error, though he had done so many signs before them, this is the end of Jesus' public ministry that I mentioned earlier. Though he did all this stuff before them, they still did not believe. So they saw this. You may think, well, we, I haven't seen Jesus, you know, raised from, someone from the dead. I haven't seen Jesus made the blind see. Well, have you looked at his tomb? Do you know where his body is? Right? I mean, I, I think about that all the time. All you got to do is find it. Just find the body and it's all a lie. And two billion people in this world, or however many claim to believe in Jesus, are just, now we're free agents in the religion landscape, right? We've got to find a new God to worship, right? Just find the body. And it's not there. And so again, though he had done so many signs before them, still they did not believe. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts the world. And then Jesus says he does it in three ways. Concerning sin, they're convicted because of their unbelief. Concerning righteousness, Jesus is revealed as the only truly righteous one who has defeated death, proven to be righteous by his defeated death, resurrected into heaven. They're shown that their righteous standard, particularly the Pharisees here, but all of us live, all of us are self-righteous to a degree, a large degree, convicted of that. And then finally, convicted in concerning judgment. 
is the assurance that there is a judgment day. That that judgment either is going to fall on me or it's going to fall on Jesus. Okay? Now, how do we think about this? That's why I love just preaching through the Bible because you can't sneak around hard stuff. I had a friend in college. His name was Caleb. He was a devoted atheist. Um, he was the type of, we were both the type of guy, guys that if we believed something, we really believed it. Like we read it, we studied it, we, we you know, thought through the logical implications of what we're saying and then tried to understand the other side as best we could, okay? He wasn't belligerent. He wasn't obnoxious. We were actually really good friends. We were in the same guitar studio together. But we just didn't believe the same thing. And there was a coffee shop across the street from, I went to Southern University of Southern Mississippi, and right across is Hardy Street. Right across the street was a place called Java Works. And whenever we got out of class, we would go over there and get a cup of coffee, and we would talk about this stuff. We'd go back and forth, um, you know, with our arguments or whatever. And we agreed that we would do a book swap, and he was a big fan of a guy whose name was Christopher Hitchens. I don't know if you guys know who Christopher Hitchens is. Uh, Christopher Hitchens is a British uh, academic. He's passed away. Super duper smart. Like, uh, if you go online and look up Christopher Hitchens, you'll see him debating Christians and other, you know, other folks. Super smart guy. In fact, I recommend, he has a debate with a guy named Douglas Wilson, who's a Christian. It's called Collide. It's really good. It's a documentary. They wrote a book together. Check it out. Anyway, so Christopher Hitchens um, wrote a book called God is Not Great. God is Not Great, How Religion Ruins Everything. I was like, wow, this is a great book for me to read. And I'm still figuring this stuff out, too. Let me just say that. And I gave him a book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And I don't know if you guys read that. That's a really good book. There's a lot of good uh, Christian apologetic books. So we read each other's books. We have these conversations. He brings up this. I bring up that. We're going back and forth. And what was so interesting is that through this ongoing friendship conversation, what it did is it really served to make me even more certain of my position. It didn't, it didn't put seeds of doubt that turned into apostasy and, and turning away. It actually made me stronger. Because now I'm not like little Aaron and my dad, Southern Baptist Church, you know, in the pews singing, holy, 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 right? Now I'm like, I got to deal with this. And it's like, this guy's coming and being like, well, you know, have you ever thought about this? Or you can't trust the Bible because it's all, you know, people just made this stuff up. And I'm like, is that true? And so I got to read, I got to study, and I found persuasive answers for all of his objections. And the Lord made me stronger from it. The Lord made me stronger from it. For Caleb, I think it did just the opposite. He was even more convinced of his position. And maybe that means we're just really bad at arguing our points, right? <laughs> at making our point to each other. But he was um, just as, as certain that he was right. And as I think about that, I see this work of the Holy Spirit happening. Again, not conviction of personal sin, but conviction of the world. That the message comes, the, the word comes, the, the display of God's power comes... And people do not believe. They do not believe. The Holy Spirit came as a witness through me, although I had no idea, as a witness to Caleb through me, built me up, and Caleb was convicted. 
The arguments, the arguments were made, the proofs were given, and yet he remained in unbelief. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 6. This is a tough one. And this is one that Jesus, um, that Jesus mentions, I believe, after the parable of the sower. This is whenever Isaiah is called out to be a prophet of God. Starting in verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Who's going to be my messenger? Then he said, Isaiah said, uh, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, This is the message, this is the word. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. That is a really hard job description. God was sending his messenger to his people to speak his word, and the result was the opposite of what you would expect. The message made people more resistant to God, not less. It hardened them towards God and his word, not less. And then Jesus picks up the same point in his Gospels after he's telling them the parables. That hearing they do not hear, seeing they do not see. The people's hearts have become dull, their eyes become heavy, and they are blinded. That God is sending his messenger into the world, and for some people, it doesn't do anything. It entrenches them in their unbelief in a way that they are responsible for. The message is clear. And still they do not believe. They are convicted by the Holy Spirit. Okay? There is either an internal conviction that those who repent and believe that happens towards salvation, internal, or an eternal conviction towards judgment. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And as far as I know, I don't think Caleb has um, repented and believed. And let me say this. It's not like that one conversation, or not one, those many conversations I had with Caleb was his opportunity, and because he missed it, that softball, that gospel softball thrown to him that he would hit and believe, it's, the story's over. No. He is going to live a, a long life prayerfully. Maybe those were seeds that will happen down the road. I don't know. I don't know his story. So it's, don't think about this as like a one-time thing and then you're done. You missed your chance. That's not how it works. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit comes as a convicting prosecutor because the message is clear. You just don't want to believe, okay? The Holy Spirit convicts the world. But he doesn't stop there. And I think it's important to think about the Holy Spirit's work depending on who the subject is he's working on. The Holy Spirit convicts the world, but now we're going to look at the church, those who believe in Jesus. How does he work with those who are not of this world? And that brings us to the second point. The Holy Spirit declares the truth. Verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Here we see two words used to describe the same thing, I believe, and that is the word guide and the word declare. Guide and declare. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, or guide you into all truth, and then he will declare to you the things that are to come. I think there's some more going on here than what we're going to hit, um, but it's important to understand the immediate context. There's, a, there's two things going on here. There's an immediate thing happening, and then there's a universal principle being established at the same time. Okay? In Luke chapter 12, 11 to 12, Jesus is preparing his disciples, and he says this, and when, you bring, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So one part of the Holy Spirit's work is to give us the words to speak in the situations where we need it. Okay? Jesus, is, Jesus promises his disciple that though they will be dragged before chief priests and magistrates on account of his name, he will give them what they need. If you read the book of Acts, that's the whole book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, um, all of the end of Acts where it's Peter before the, um, the magistrate there in Jerusalem and Rome. He's all over the place. You know, the Holy Spirit giving Jesus' disciples what they need to speak his truth, okay? Declaring to them the word. Peter, um, in Acts chapter 4, saying before the Sadducees. It's just so crazy. Because Peter was afraid of a little servant girl who was like, hey, I saw you with Jesus. And Peter's like, no, 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 that wasn't me. That was that guy, right? And then the next moment, like a month later, he's going before the Sadducees, the very people that got Jesus killed, and he is saying, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What happened between that Peter and this Peter? The Holy Spirit happened. That's what happened. The Holy Spirit happened. And he spoke in boldness. Okay? So the Holy Spirit empowers us to speak and declare God's truth. And more broadly, what we see it empowers us to speak a truth that it also helps us to understand. Verse 13, He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. Whenever I was in college, I had the opportunity to go to China, which was cool. We were there over Christmas break, about two and a half weeks. And we spent all of our time in the, in the big cities in, in China. We were in a city called Neijiang, which is outside of Chengdu. Chengdu is like southwest. Um, and then we also spent time in Beijing. And these cities, I've never been in New York City. I've been to Chicago. It's probably the biggest city I've been to. These cities were huge. It was crazy. It was so ginormous, you know, where, where we are. And so disorienting. I have never been so disoriented, okay? I feel like I have a pretty good sense of direction, but I've never been more disoriented in my life. And I've been to other countries before. I've been to Haiti, Mexico, I've been to Canada, that doesn't really count. Um, but Montreal, everything's in French, though, so everyone can speak English, but everything is in French. So it's just so crazy being there, because it's not, you know, like Spanish, at least it looked, and an A looks kind of like an A, and, and all that. And, you know, 
for Chi Chinese, um, you know, everything's totally different. And so you're looking at it's a huge city. And everything is just a different, it's just crazy. And we were so disoriented. We were in Beijing, and uh, we got lost. Well, I think we were getting off the subway. And we thought we were supposed to be here, but we were someplace else, and we got out, and we're like, this doesn't look familiar. The place we were trying to get to was literally across the street. It was like G-Hop to here, right? We were like right by the place, and we had no idea. I thought I was going to have to live in Beijing on the streets the rest of my life, right? Just be lost. Like, well, we, we lost Aaron, you know, uh, we're not sure where he is. That's what I thought. We needed a guide. We needed a guide. We needed someone to chart the path for us. And that's what Jesus says the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, both in understanding God's Word and then applying God's Word. This is, this is really important. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So you're reading your Bible, okay? You're reading your Bible, and you think you're there doing it, but what the Apostle Paul says is, no, the Holy Spirit is there teaching these things to you, making you understand. You cannot just figure out God's Word by yourself. That's what he's saying. You need Him to reveal Himself to you. And then that helps you speak it to others. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So whenever we come to God's Word and we start reading it, we aren't doing that alone. In a very real sense, Bible reading is never a solo activity. It's never a solo activity. God's Spirit is actively connecting the dots in His Word, helping us understand guiding us as we read, and then guiding us as we apply it into this world, both in the interpretation and the application. And this is incredible to me. If you think about, you know, going through Beijing or going through a big city, me needing a guy, think about all of the different truth claims and worldviews and religions, and how do you navigate all that? I, I try to study this stuff because it's interesting to me, but I feel like I need to know it as a pastor, and I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. And I have God's Holy Spirit there helping me interpret His Word and apply to this world and see what does God's Word say about these things? How am I going to actually live my life in this world according to God's Word? I'm not doing that alone. The Holy Spirit is helping me. On the outside, it looks like nothing is happening. Someone reading a book, even now, you listening to some guy talk. But on the inside, the Holy Spirit is at work, equipping, building, and empowering. Incredible things happening that we do not see, those aha moments. If you're in the Word of God, those aha moments. God is not aloof. He didn't throw down an instruction book and say, good luck, but is actively inserting himself into that moment as you read, revealing himself to you. Let me give just another example. We, we have a fight at the house against the TV, okay? And not, we have a fight against the kids that want to watch the TV, but more importantly, we have a fight getting kids off the TV because the TV is not good for kids, okay? The TV is not good for kids as far as watching a lot of it. 
thing. The recommendation is two hours a day of screen time. And so there are times it's like we're done with breakfast and the kids have already watched two hours of TV. We're like, oof, we messed this day up, you know. Why is that bad? Why is it bad for the kids to watch TV? Because it keeps kids from unstructured playtime. Kids need unstructured playtime. It's really good for kids because whenever kids have to figure out how to entertain themselves, they're developing a lot. Social skills, they're creative, they're running around, they're not sitting on a couch, that type of thing. A lot of times Ellie comes up to me and says, hey, Dad, play with me. And I'm like, leave me alone. Not because I don't want to play with her. I do play with her. But because I know if she has to figure it out herself, that's good for her. That's really good for her. On the outside, it looks like the kids are running around. It looks like the kids are playing house. Ellie likes to kind of boss Levi around, and she's the mama, and he's the daddy, and they have all their babies on the floor, and they're putting the babies to bed, and all this stuff. It's really cute. And on the outside, you know, it just looks like babies, but on the, they're playing with babies, but on the inside, development is happening. And it's really cool to see. Their brains are just firing. The synapses are firing in their brains, and they're growing without them even realizing it. I think that's kind of how the Holy Spirit works whenever we get into the Bible. So it is with God's Word, okay? On the outside, it looks like we are reading. It looks like we are thinking. But on the inside, the Holy Spirit is sovereignly guiding and making these things true for us. Sovereignly putting together these things. I remember reading the book of John in um, college, and it just changed my life. Because I had, a, I had a Bible this girl gave me. I had a little journal thing. I'm journaling through the book of John, and it changed my life. And I didn't even realize it. I just grew so much. And I think, okay, that, you know, I'm journaling. I'm putting in some effort. No, God was there. And he was making it happen. He was firing those synapses in my brain, spiritual synapses, and making the text come alive. He was doing it. This is called the doctrine of illumination that you need the Holy Spirit there to guide and declare God's truth to you so that you can live it out. And so for you, what it, where are you with this? Maybe you need some unstructured playtime, right? If Sunday is all that you get of God's Word, if Sunday is all that you get of God's Word, it's kind of like Ellie asking Daddy to come play with her, which is kind of a weird metaphor, but it works, okay? If this is all you're getting, then you're not going to grow, although this is really important. You need to get into the Word of God so that the Holy Spirit can come and work on you and connect His Word to your heart, to your mind, to your heart, and then see that manifest itself outside and how you live your life. Me and Hannah... Um, to our shame, we never got into the Bible together, ever. We've been married like five years. Um, we just celebrated our six-year anniversary. And we, this year, started the five-day the five -day Bible reading plan together. And it's just reading, you know, on the outside, but our marriage is, is a lot better than it was. Not that our marriage was bad, but it's just something's different. It's hard to say. I can't put my thumb on it. I guess I can. It's the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit. We have Bible reading plans to encourage this. We have small group Bible studies to encourage this. I will personally sit down and read the Bible with you to encourage this. 
You can try me on that. This is so important. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to declare his word to you and equip you to live it out. And that's glorious. And that leads us to this final point. And this will be really quick. The Holy Spirit came to declare the word, God's word, but also to glorify Jesus. Verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I think what is meant here is the Holy Spirit reveals who Jesus is, is to us. All that is mine. The, the Father sent the Son to accomplish his will. Jesus came to accomplish that will through his words and his actions, through his person, to reveal the glory of the Father. The Holy Spirit makes that real to us in such a way that we repent and believe and Jesus is glorified. And I think that this is a good word for us to end on. The Holy Spirit works to point us to Jesus. We see all these, like these televangelists, these big displays, all this, you know, like, ha, on the head, and then you just fall out or whatever. Whose name is being made known there? Maybe it's Jesus, but maybe not. The Holy Spirit works to make Jesus look awesome. He comes as a witness to this world. Some will repent and believe. Some will not. Some will be convicted of their sin and repent. Some will be convicted of their sin and face judgment. For us in the church, the Spirit comes and reveals the Word of God to us and applies that Word to us so that we could live a different life. And all of this is glorious. And so for you, you know, whatever your understanding of the Holy Spirit is, we can't miss this. Because this is how God chose to equip the church to fulfill the mission that Jesus has given us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now as we pray, I'm going to ask you to pray with me that we could see that power manifest itself. Dear Lord, I just want to come and, and thank you for your, your word. I understand that everything that I do to, to speak, I prayerfully anyways, and everything we do to get into your word, it is a supernatural, divine thing. And on the outside, it looks pretty simple. On the outside, it might even look boring. On the outside, it doesn't look like much. But on the inside, you are working. And a lot of times, we despair because we don't think anything's happening. A lot of times, we get bored. A lot of times we get impatient. A lot of times we check out. And that's a shame. Because that's how you choose to work, Lord. In your kingdom, small things are mighty things. In your kingdom, it's like what Jesus said, the, the, the leaven working through dough. And you, don't, you can't see that happen. You put the leaven in the dough. You don't see the dough rising. But then you come back an hour later and it's risen. And that's how your spirit works. You're, you're working, and we don't even register. And then all of a sudden, bam, everything that you were working out comes to fruition. And so for everyone here, I pray 
that they would, would think on that. And I, and I think about that in my own life. I look back to my life and just see you there whenever I didn't recognize you were there in the moment. But now I see you were there. You still do that. You always do that. Lord, help us to lean in. Whenever we come to your word to pray, to ask you to explain and guide and declare this word to us. For this world, we pray that his Holy Spirit comes and convicts them that they would turn in belief and not towards judgment. That you would use us to do that. But we know it's not up to us to save, it's, us, it's up to us to speak. Pray that we'd be faithful in that. And in all of this, Lord, we pray that you are glorified. We need your Spirit to come. Help us to be sensitive to him as he comes. To not live for ourselves, to not speak our own word but have the boldness of the early church in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4 to speak your word, to see the power of your spirit on full display. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning sermon taught by Pastor Aaron Manning at Fort Hill Community Church in Gorham, Maine. For more information about Pastor Aaron or Fort Hill Community Church, visit us on Facebook or check out our website at www.forthillchurch.com.